Welcome to Thrive with Trevor Huffman Podcast. Trevor will be sharing 20 years of his NBA, NCAA, and overseas basketball playing, training, and coaching experience to help basketball athletes, parents, and humans find their athletic edge and thrive. Thrive is a deep dive into the lives, routines, habits, and minds of the world's best mental performance coaches, leadership professors, pro basketball athletes, NBA and WNBA skill trainers, and thought-leading sports psychologists. Let Trevor help you find the edges of your comfort zone so you can thrive. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Thrive with Trevor Huffman. Be sure to check out these other great basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Bleachers and Boards, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, and our team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, Grizz and Grind, the 305 Culture Miami Heat Podcast, and Knuck If You Buck. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing and my co-host Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game from grassroots to the NBA. The Thrive Podcast is we typically talk, you know, we talk hoops, we talk training, we talk parenting, raising a kid, and obviously, you know, with your your background in coaching and, and uh, college coaching at Oakland and Northwood and obviously raising three kids all... all um, you know, well, two of two of your kids getting scholarships to play basketball, and, and and RJ is definitely right there as a freshman go, going to be a sophomore at Grand Blank. To just you know, kind of give uh, give the people uh, of of the Thrive Podcast kind of a background on you and where where you started with basketball. I know you started at Boyne City, and you, and and uh, you know Dennis Starkey, obviously a good our our good friend and, and my high school coach, but. Tell people how you kind of got into coaching and where your passion started. Well, I basically was one of those guys that just kind of grew up with basketball in a small town. I always wanted to play basketball. And then my parents, because they saw I was dedicated, sent me to this camp up by where you grew up, Wolverine Camp. And I thought it made a real separator as far as I got to know other people more like me. You know, the book, Jonathan Livington Siegel, you never read the book where the where the seagull would go fly by himself, but everybody thought he's crazy. He was nuts. Mm-hmm. And he went to somewhere else where everybody liked to fly like he did. Uh-huh. And that was kind of my Wolverine camp experience. You know, I met Dean Lockwood and Dennis Starkey and you know, a lifelong people. And then that kind of got me in a circle where I was thinking about, I'd like to coach. I'd like to coach after I play. And so then I got the job at Boyne City High School. And then after a year or two, I got the job at Lake Superior State as a men's assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And then because of an illness, I became the women's head coach and was still the men's assistant coach for two years. Then I got the head women's job at Oakland. And then I got the head men's job at Northwood. So I've been mm-hmm. about half the time guys and girls. Um, and I've been assistant coach, head coach, and I've mm-hmm. been around the block a few times. You know, what I was you- a head coach at 24 i think yeah what that's interesting i didn't realize you had um you know just your your the background in men's and women's at lake state i didn't realize that what was some what were some of the biggest differences between coaching the the boys and the girls and the men and the women at those levels well it's so interesting you said it because i've had a very great experience and the problem is i try to get back into it a lot of people my resume are gone mm-hmm. you know like i had some great resumes but we used uh chuck daly was the I consider him a friend, but he would come mm-hmm. to our practice and the Pistons practice 11 to one and we practice one to three and he would come. And the one thing he said, I always kind of felt, he said, wouldn't it be great if we could combine the girls and the guys? He goes, I wish I could get my guys to listen more like you girls. <laughs> right. And he would say, I wish I could get the girls, your girls to be more competitive. You know what I mean? By nature, I think a lot of times the girls want to please. You know, they want to please, they want to, and a guy's like, I tell my kids all the time, like, if RJ doesn't like something that we're going to, I mean, he's going to just listen and then go on and do what he wants to do, you know, where the mm-hmm. girls are going to try to do it bit by bit. So with my girls, I tried to make everything, when I coach girls, competitive. Everything mm-hmm. was for a number. Everything was to a score. Everything was to try to get them to be more competitive. 
with guys, I wanted to tone that down because once mm. we went to a competitive situation, you know, they quit listening and it took over. So we tried to do more what we would call teaching or instruction or get them to think the game a little bit more. And mm. then we started putting them as we evolved into it more situation where they had to think and compete at the same time, you know, but even just the shooting drill, the girls always went to a number. Always, because I've always tell girls today when I work with them, if you get a real, if you're a real competitive girl, super competitive, you're 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 going to be able to play at the next level. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not not a lot. So I would say that would be the basic difference. I mean, mm-hmm. the girls are pleasers more; they want to do what's in. We wish they're more competitive. The guys yeah. are very competitive, and we wish they want to please us more. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, and then we'll, we'll raising your kids is that kind of? I mean, with with uh, Ellie and Mays, did you, you know, as they started off, your girls, you know, did did you go take them out into the, the, the driveway and start playing shooting games to five? Who could win? Or, I mean, how did you develop? What was your approach and strategy, strategy to develop them as kids and players? Well, the thing that I, you know, this is one of the things I thought we'd touch on today. But the biggest thing I think with any kid, you got to get them to like it first. You know what I mean? You got to, that's where I tell people all the time, I'm kind of from a different generation than my own kids. You know, I'm like 17 years older than my wife. I got Mm -hmm. married at 40, first kid at 42. I started coaching my kids. I'm almost 50. Mm -hmm. And I saw how the game was being taught. My first reaction, this can't work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This can't work, you know? So one of the things I always say is coaches, you got to know who's in front of you. You know, a little fifth, five-year-old, six-year-old, you think they want to go, you know, ready, set, go, and go on all these organized things, you know? Mm-hmm. But we had a we had a court at our house, and we just got them to shoot, and we'd have fun, and we'd, you know, kind of celebrate things. And then mm-hmm. we would try to get them to do shooting. The one thing I got on early was streaks, you know. They'd mm-hmm. go out and shoot and say, Daddy, I beat my streak. You know, I beat mm-hmm. my streak, and we'd celebrate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the biggest thing I think with guys or girls at that age, especially, was just to have fun. You know, yeah. have fun. Don't. The thing I always say, like, who's in front of you? You know, why are we teaching this six-year-old or seven-year-old like they're some kind of college player? You know, doing drills and yelling at them. Right. <laughs> I'm like, that can't work. In my yeah. opinion, I'm saying like somebody would have told me when I was your age. I said I grew up in the '70s. We protested everything. We protested. Yeah. You know, we protested everything. You know, uh-huh. drugs, the marijuana, the Vietnam, there's always a, I said, I would have protested if somebody would have told me that I had to stay in the corner because that's the offense that yeah. the coach is playing, you know? So the basic thing is we always try to, A, kind of, we liked it. We were out there with them. It's just something synergy-wise we do with our family. Mm-hmm. We just were synergized with basketball. We've been lucky with that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, that's great. Yeah, I think, the, you know, with my little brother, I used to do the same thing, who obviously, you know, you know D2 who still plays three on three and professionally for seven years was I always just tried to focus on playing the game, you know, cause you loved it. Even if we played one-on-one, we'd, you know, we'd play different, uh, different versions of one-on-one. I, I, you know, I'd make it so it was hard for me to score if I was better than him. I'd take, I'd say, okay, I get one dribble. You get unlimited dribbles. Yeah. I can only score. I can only score in the free throw lane or outside the free throw lane. You can score anywhere, you know? And I think giving those kids, you know, if you have kids at different skill level, making sure they're kind of right outside their growth zone or their comfort zone, not too far out, you know, where they can't do anything right. Or, you know, and I think, you know, that was one of the things I tried to focus on with um, kind of growing up with my younger brother, you know, trying to have fun, be competitive. Uh, I do love the idea about the streaks, you know, try to beat your streak. And I think that's something parents and and uh, coaches could could do. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that one. So thanks. Um, what do you as a college coach? What was your criteria? You know, for looking at a high school player. I know a lot of kids that I I coach. You know, including RJ and some and your kids. The criteria of like, okay, I want them on my team. I want them on my club. I'm gonna pay them money to be part of my program. What was your criteria? Well, obviously, you wanted somebody that could win. We always said, you know, if you weren't winning at that level, it would be hard to win at our level, you know, unless there was some real ex- uh, circumstances. We always, I always like shooters. Uh, not to go back to what you were just saying, but mm-hmm. that's even though we, we've known each other for a long time, what you were saying is exactly what I did. You know, we kind of handicap things. We kind of, uh, it's not, 
I don't want to change the subject, but I had mm-hmm. a tennis background and mm-hmm. I had really, really good tennis coaches. And they always said, you should play against players better than you, worse than you, and even with you. Mm-hmm. And if you play against a player that's worse than you, that's the time, Bob, to work on your backhand. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're playing against a player better than you, then you got to try to find their weakness, you right. know? And if it's even, then you just find out who, who's better. But it's, mm-hmm. that's something we did with our kids, and we still do when we mm-hmm. play. We handicap it. We put different rules on them. But as a college coach, you know, we kind of really got captivated by, I was by shooting. I wanted shooters. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think when I coached the girls at Oakland, we led the country like six or seven years where we led, made more threes than anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I've always been big on shooting. And maybe that's because kind of, I, I wonder sometimes, Trevor, how many coaches play coach like they play. Mm-hmm. Sitting back in my 14-year sabbatical, you know what I mean, yeah. just watching and scratching my head. I think that I wonder how many coaches do that. You know, that's how they played, so that's how they see the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could always shoot. I was mm-hmm. slow, but I could always shoot. But I always thought shooting puts a lot of pressure on people. So we always kind of look for shooters, and then we call it awkward players. In some ways, I think, especially when I coached the girls at Oakland, I was a little ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. You know, we we. Um, Actually, the guy your college coach worked for, Tom Ludwig, was like that. You know, mm-hmm. Tom Ludwig said, I give up three inches for a better player. And a lot of coaches got into, they wanted that player to fit a certain box. Yeah. They wanted to be 6'6". Six, six, yeah, right. They want their wingspan to be a certain height. And, uh, you know, the NBA, the NBA's criteria is very, you know, you look at the criteria of an NBA player and you're, you're really, you're not giving up. They're, they're not giving up their 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 rubric for height length wingspan vertical you know that athleticism which i think is interesting because you go to europe you know luka Doncic doesn't have the he's not the fastest guy in the world he's not the highest jumping guy in the world but his iq his his ability to read the game pass the game shoot the game you know he like to me that's where players that aren't as athletic like you're talking about you weren't the fastest but you could make shots you could you know um, you were such an efficient skill player, you know, and I think that's kind of what I, I, I like to talk about the most because, you know, in, in, in a lot of players now, what would you have done differently? You know, you're saying, you know, like you're scratching your head watching the game. I know we talked about this summer, like, God, I wish I would have done more of this earlier, you know, when we were working with Alan Mays uh, with, you know, footwork and dribbling and rhythm and pace. Hey, basketball parents, coaches, and athletes. One of my favorite adapted quotes is, we do not rise to the level of our basketball goals, but rather we fall to the level of our basketball training system. Why do I say that? Well, I want to help all your basketball athletes, kids, or players figure out how to chase their basketball dreams in a smart, systematic way. So I'm offering my live online basketball training community today and get a free week of virtual home basketball workouts streamed into your garage, your living room, your basement, your driveway, and you get to work out with the pros. All right, we do this every week, and for the first time, your kids will have direct access to me, sports performance trainers, other pro coaches for as little as $25 a month. If you're interested, please visit trevorhuffman.com or text me, quote, Huffman Club with your full name at 810 771 8622. Again, that's 810 771 8622. What would have been some of the things you would have done differently with um, if you could go back? With my two daughters? Yeah. I definitely would have done a lot of the ball hailing stuff you were doing. You mm-hmm. know, I was more from a very high cue, pass, read, mm-hmm. make a decision, get the ball to a good player in the middle of the court, let's have action. Mm-hmm. And I was more from the school of, okay, if we fight for a great shot, we're going to find a fish on the other end. There's going to be some defender just going to make a mistake, and yeah. we're going to be able to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's what I do think the NBA is evolving back into a little bit more as far mm-hmm. as, you know, the world is flat. And what we're learning from a lot of these European players and the standard that they're bringing, you're seeing more what I call imagination and feel. You're seeing mm-hmm. more creativity, somebody be able to make somebody better. But if I had it over the way the game was and I didn't 
is I would teach them to be like how you slide dribble and how you explode and how you come off. Um, I was always pretty good at the creativity part, but as far as the individual attacking, I was more like, let's, you know, create a better situation for yourself with passing, screening, cutting. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is like a lost art, you know, when, and that's why I love watching, you know, your, your, a lot of your stuff because, I mean, there's 10 players, one ball, you know? Mm-hmm. So let's be honest. Do you, you know, and I try to tell kids like the ability to play with constraints, whether it's one-on-one or three-on-three to do more with less dribbles is, is really important, but also kind of, you know, that uh, on the macro level, it's important to be able to move and to read a screen, which I think, you know, I really learned a lot from you, you know, playing, playing one-on-one with two chairs on the, on the wings and, and letting that player, learn how to play cat and mouse with somebody chasing them. So they know how to flare or they know how to curl. It's so much more important than just doing a one on O where you just are, your brain is turned off and you're just in the routine of, Oh, I'm curling. Oh, I'm fading, but you don't know why. And you don't know when. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of players kind of lack that IQ of, of the when and the why. Well, it's so interesting. You said that because um, a college coach had my son down for a visit who I've known for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. So I watch practice, and the practice does, okay, now when they do this, we do that. When they do this, they do that. Now we counter this with that. And afterwards, he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I've known you for a long time, but other than you cussing a little bit, yeah. I didn't recognize a lot of what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And he said, what did you mean? And he said, and then we talked for a while, and he said, that's what I'm getting handed up. I'm getting handed up a bunch of players that were taught X versus O. You know, and in my day, when we looked at it, we would see a big X against a little O, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And we would take it, but not all the X's and O's were the same. Mm-hmm. And he said the counterculture, and that's what, you know, my thing was back in the glory days of basketball. I, I'm old enough that we didn't have really summer basketball. I remember playing like four or five high school games. And I think it's the first time ever was the summer before my senior year. Mm-hmm. And then we had high school basketball. We had the playgrounds and the parks, and then the AU started, or the travel. Mm-hmm. Well, what's what's been eliminated? What's been eliminated is the playgrounds and the park. What's been eliminated? Now kids play on their high school team, they play on their summer team, and then they play on their travel team. Mm-hmm. But they don't go enough to the park or the playground. They don't go enough and do the stuff that I thought we did this summer with you and everything else. They mm-hmm. don't break it down. There's not a lot of three-on-three, so... Mm-hmm. As I'm trying to get older in my age and have one last chance to make an impact on the game, I want to be like a Bobby basketball seat. I want to get more kids just playing playing basketball, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because we have kids in our travel clubs. They've learned eight to ten plays. And they never played one-on-one their life. <laughs> yeah, it's and, scary. And you, you sneak, but it's true, you know, right. and it's, I'm not, it almost is ridiculous when you think about it. Um, so I think the way we taught the kids is wrong. So if yeah. somebody said, what did you do right to get all three of your kids offered scholarships? I would say I taught them instincts and feel before mm-hmm. the organization. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think that's where I, you know, I feel the same way in terms of like building a club. What is a club? Well, if you go to Europe, the clubs are, if you're 16 and you're good enough, you play with the 35 year olds, just like if you're 16, you go to the park and you're good enough, you play with the, the 35 year olds. And to me, that kind of like that uh, ethos is gone in the United States. You know, it's now like AAU, like you said, club play five games a day. If you lose, it doesn't matter. You know, the, the, com- the, the games, the play, you can't play. Like if you got, if you lost at the park back in the day when I played, you wouldn't get back on the court for two hours. You know, there'd be a line. So that competitive drive too, I think was really big. And, and really crucial in my upbringing. And, and I think, you know, being a pro coach last year in Belgium, you can, you can sense that the, the, the reading of the game, the, um, you know, like you're saying, kind of like the X's and O's, the players are really good. Like, this is what we need to do. But if I didn't systemize that form and develop that system for them to read it, they wouldn't be able to do it. You know, whereas when I was a point guard, I was like, well, I know this point guys can't shoot. Um, I'm telling my big guy, hey, we're going to hedge and I'm going to go under. And if he, if they rescreen me, then, you know, then we'll switch and I'll be okay. And 
know, it was just this natural thing for me to, to do that. But I found as a coach, I had to really kind of step back and say, okay, I was good at that as a player. It doesn't mean my team's going to be good at that or these guys are going to be good at that unless I'm finding those players for my program, which, you know, as a, as a pro coach, I only got to choose two players, which was rough. So I was, you know, it's interesting to hear your criteria for choosing players in college and how each coach probably has a different criteria. But, um, you know, in, in terms of intangibles, like what are, like, as a college coach, high school coach, you see the intangibles of a, of a player. If I'm the same level as RJ, let's say RJ and I are both freshmen in high school. RJ's talented. I'm talented. What are you looking at from like a, a intangible standpoint or a, um, a leadership standpoint of that kid? What what kind of qualities do they uh, you know have? Well, obviously they'd be Trevor Huffman. You know, they'd be yeah. the person that wants they want to do more, you know, they want to do that little bit extra and see, again, I, I probably sound like a broken record, but those are things that aren't being taught and even anti-taught in the youth basketball, you know, cause the youth basketball, you know, a lot of times who's coaching the team, who's coaching the team as a dad. So they don't, they don't want to yell at that kid. You know what I mean? They don't mm-hmm. want to develop that kid. And that's what, you know, we told our youth coaches that coach our kid, we don't mind you being hard on our kid, you know, mm-hmm. but, to qualify that, it has to be in a age appropriate situation. You know, I don't want you f bombing my kid. I don't want mm-hmm. you, you know, cussing. But we want to try to make them tougher. You know, mm-hmm. we said we wanted to be a better teammate. Like I always will go to a lot of my friends that are still coaching in college and like, what are your biggest complaints right now? And if they say that, well, if it's up at the end of the rope, it probably started that way at the end of the at the mm-hmm. start of the rope, right? Mm-hmm. You know. And they're saying kids are very self-absorbed. They're very much into themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. So we we would try to get them to be teammates all all the time. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And when I coach my kids, we'd always talk about being a better teammate. What would you do to make a better teammate? Well, I was nice to Susie today. Why were you nice? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Those things. And that's where I think youth basketball has the biggest avenue in the world because you have them like, play right you can mold these kids into Mm. positive things but you know we'll see kids walk up and down the court well they paid their money so somehow the coach thinks they shouldn't be allowed to do that and there's Mm -hmm. a real fine line between doing what's fun and letting them have fun but also helping them one of the things i say trevor is the curse of youth basketball today is coaches want to win at grade level well what wins in fifth and sixth grade doesn't really you know, Trevor, are you there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Chris, uh, does not really help you win in high school? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I see that all the time. Yeah. Begin with the end in mind. So toughness, being a teammate, being accountable are things I think good youth coaches should bring into the, the program. Yeah. Like that's interesting because, you know, my dad, I had my dad on the podcast, which is all, it was, it was hilarious because, you know, my dad in seventh, when I was in seventh grade in Petoskey, we sucked. We were two and seven. You know, three and seven, something like that. And, um, you know, I remember that. I remember feeling because I love basketball. I wanted to win, you know, and I remember thinking, man, oh, gosh, I thought I was better than this, you know. And, you know, you, we got beat by Sheboygan. The, these guys were all bigger and stronger and fit. Like, you know, the Sheboygan boys had beards in seventh grade and we couldn't we couldn't beat them. We just were like, you know, and then eighth grade, my dad comes in. I start growing. Everybody starts growing. And, you know, my skill levels were I'd playing three on three all summer. And really just, you know, competing with older, bigger players and Harbor Springs. I was going to open gym, just a diehard, you know. And I think when my dad came in, he kind of instituted the, the the competitive rule. Every every one-on-one, every three-on-three, every free throw game is worth a point. Um, and and so if you're if you're in the top 12, you get to play. If you're in the top 12 points on the team, you play. So And we went out and just smoked Sheboygan, you know. And then for the next four years in high school with Coach Starkey, we smoked, you know, they never beat us again. And yet, like, you know, at that time, that coach in seventh grade was thinking, I got the best, you know, we're winning, you know, and they, they weren't, they just weren't playing the right way. They weren't do, to doing any skills that they were going to need, you know, at the next level. And I think, you know, that, that is a, a, a big point. Like, are, are you looking at the big picture? Are players learning how to, to read the game without the ball? You know, are they learning the skills necessary to to make shots and, and create space at the next level? And I think that's kind of where I am now. Is like one, you got to compete, 
You got to you got to be able to compete and do more with less. Uh, and and you got to be able to get after a kid like RJ. You know, I, I love working with RJ because you know he'd turn it up. You know, if you yell at him, you get after him. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't back down from the challenge. Uh, and I think that's important, like you're saying, to kind of challenge players, even as a parent, put them in competitive, challenging situations where they might lose. And that's okay, because that's what is preparing them for that high school championship, that Breslin Center run, all those things later at the end of the rope. Um, and I think, you know, that's one well, thing. You and I have talked about it. That's why trial and error and failure, failure is a huge part of learning. And I think we've tried to sequest them. You know, we try to keep them away from failure. Parents are very worried. Oh, I don't want my kid not to have fun. I don't want him to burn out. I don't want him to. And understandable, but at the same time, you're taking away great growth opportunities if that's your mindset, if that's what you're thinking, you know. So when I got let go at Northwood, I started coaching my oldest daughter, Ellie's travel team. And basically, we would get beat fifth, sixth grade because we wouldn't resort to tactics. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, eighth grade, we won the state championship by like 15, 20 points. Everybody made varsity as a freshman, and everyone played college basketball their freshman year in college. That's amazing. Because I think it's what you start with. Well, because I was almost a grandfather to the homies, I was from a generation past these parents, you know. Mm -hmm. I would come home and my wife would scream at me because the team in town called the Magic utilized his own press and we couldn't deal with it. So she mm. wanted us to zone press them back. And I'm more like, well, I just got let go as a college coach. I don't have the ego to try to win that sixth grade team, right? I want these kids to become better players. Yeah. But we took the tactic end in mind. We kept saying end in mind. And mm. it was hard. With a lot of parents, it was hard because they think the best team is the winning team. Mm. But if you guys are doing the right things like you and your dad were doing in seventh grade, well, in 12th grade, that's a a whole different thing. So are you trying to win at grade level or are you trying to prepare your kids to be able to play in college and have great opportunities? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the fork in the road hits. And I think that's where a lot of, uh, to me, what's wrong with youth basketball. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. What's uh, what's going on in... Well, I'm trying to find my way. I had a friend named Don Meyer. I'm a bad promoter, and I'm almost to the point of uh, probably, you know, it's like when I started coaching the youth, I wish I could have been more uh, politically correct, I guess. You know, I, <laughs> I don't tell you how to make boxes. Why are you telling me how to coach these kids? You know, this is what I've done for 30 years, you yeah. know. And one thing with basketball is, like, everybody feels like they can coach basketball. You know what I mean? It's not like, okay, here, here comes lacrosse. Nobody's ever played it. It's all go, but all the parents, you know, and they're mm-hmm. like, why aren't you doing this? Or why aren't you doing that? I wish I was more. And then in Midland, there was a small pocket of people that really liked basketball. So we wanted to get to more of a metropolitan area. You know, and I say, first off, for youth to get involved, it should be informal. You know what I mean? Why? Why um, Xavier Tillman's uh, played at State, his grandfather his daughter played for me at Oakland and when I was talking to him in a similar way like we're talking now mm-hmm. and Ralph's from Alabama says but Bob why all these kids got to learn with these clipboards and whistles he goes I don't know why all these kids got to learn with clipboards and whistles <laughs> you know and that's sort of the way I felt you know what I mean so I just took he called them X I just take X out to the driveway and beat the crap out of me younger you know what I mean that was better <laughs> right. than the the whistles and the clipboards. Um, so I think we have to get it to be more where it's just kind of inexpensive, fun, you know, mm-hmm. informal. And then I think it has to be instincts and feel. And to me, if I coach again, Trevor, I'd be so focused on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was with a friend um, that coach actually at a school and they're in the Macker and he's there and he said, I'm going to yell at this kid about the way he's playing, you know, and, so I said, well, I'll leave. He said, no, go ahead. You know, the kid's first response, I've never played outside before. And I wonder how many college kids or high school kids have never played outside. And I think it's way higher than most people think it is. You know what I mean? Crazy. So I call it the playground is greater than an organization. 
patients. You know, I want to try to get kids. And then a lot of parents in our area, okay, I don't mind my kid playing basketball, but why does it have to be $800 to join a team and get a uniform and travel, you know, just to learn to play? So I think the numbers in the game are in serious trouble, Um, especially, especially at the girls level, but guys too, you see a lot of kids just not taking part. So anyway, that's sort of my, what I want to do, if I had it over from when I started before, I'd be more easy to get along with. You know, I'd mm-hmm. do a little, yeah, sure. But I, I'm so confident and I'm right that I keep trying to tell Chris, let's have another kid and do it again. You know, I don't think there's any doubt that mm-hmm. we do it because I think it's the early start, the early start that really shapes a kid's career. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we're messing kids up. So if – when you say that, like, uh, you know, as a, if I'm putting myself in a parent's shoes, you know, oh, wait, I don't need to do AAU. I, I don't need to do what everybody else is doing. Like, what what should I be doing? Like, what could I be doing if I don't want to spend $1,000 a month on AAU and gear and this and that and driving to tournaments in Indiana and Michigan and getting, you know, all these all these things that all these other parents and families are doing? Well, I think the biggest thing, I think what I was able to do was supplement it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I said that I was able to supplement to these kids that, like the team that I coached in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, I mean, we would get beat by teams right from our town. By seventh grade, pretty much not, but fifth and sixth grade, a lot of times that we would. But I think in the perfect order of situations, if parents would just get groups of kids together to a park and a driveway and play, Mm -hmm. that to me, the youth teams, when they played fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I think they're almost hurting the kids by the organization. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, Belgium soccer. Have you followed any of that? Uh, I did. Yeah. I mean, since I played there a little bit, I know a little bit of that story. Well, how but, they re- recreated themselves. Yeah, but tell it. I, I don't know the, the Well, the, the, they were like a world power in soccer. And they said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to become a super world power. And we're going to train these kids. And we're going to have the best organizations. And we're going to put money into the training and this and that. Well, then the kids started dropping out. And they didn't have the players. And they mm. figured out they were getting more from when they played in the open fields and the streets. Where can, where can, you know, you find games that in today, you know, like what you're saying, these little pods of, of players that get together, whether it's a family getting a pod of, of players and, and, uh, their community, you know, I, I told Ryan Hiller, who was a coach up in Manton, I said, well, if you want to turn your program around, I mean, we need to start young. We need to start planting the seed early. And, you know, I loved what Dennis Starkey had done when, when we were in high school, you know, we would when I was in middle school, the the seniors on the varsity team would come in every every Saturday morning and work. You know, they would coach the kids. They would coach me, and I thought, man, what what a great way to plant a plant the seed. You know, you're getting. You know, now I go to a Friday night game and I and the band's playing, the music's on. I, I'm I'm looking around like this is the greatest thing on earth. You know, it's like it's like Hoosiers, Jimmy Chitwood. I got my, you know, I'm watching the game and. And so, you know, you start to realize that these, the, the players, the families that can plant that seed and make it fun and then also start to look at, well, how do I improve? How do I get better? You know, and, and what are the, what are the ways to get better? Cause I never played AAU, you know, until my senior year in high school, junior year in high school. So there, you know, this model of, of AAU is not the only way. And, it's, and if you don't have the money, you know, you can be creative and do other things, whether it's reaching out to, you know, trainers and coaches, kind of like you guys did with me, you know, with RJ, you know, I'd more than happy to work, you know, with get together and, and play one-on-one or put RJ in situations where, you know, he's, he's having to read the game and play competitive basketball, you know, over and over and over where he plays five yeah. on five. He gets, you know, maybe he's not the guy with the ball in his hands on a good AAU team. You know, maybe he's the guy in the corner that gets no reps. So I think that balance, you know, is important. Yeah. I think it's huge, and I'm I'm a big believer that the third through sixth grade um, is the key ages. Because once they're good, then you know, like anything else, kids want to do what they feel like they're good at. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's that third through sixth grade that we're really missing the mark. I think, mm-hmm. and I don't even think we're 
paper, we're missing it just to the right or the left. I think we're almost shooting it right back at us. You know, I, I think it's so crazy that, like I said, like, okay, I've been coaching now for a good long while. And I'm my first reaction, this crap can't work. <laughs> this can't work. There's mm -hmm. no way this can work, you know? And I think, again, I thought an advantage to me was I was almost from a different generation than the generation of parents that had the kids my age, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I, I went back to that, you know? I, I So I think it's such a huge advantage that, like I said before, I'm almost 100% sure I'll do it again and again and again. So I think if there's people out there listening like um, a lot of times these high school coaches don't feel like they're going to be there that long. You know, the day of Dennis Starkey coaching up there for 20 some years and having mm -hmm. the same JV coach for 20 some years and the same seventh grade coach for 20 some years, yeah. those days are kind of gone, you know? So I think what we're, we're not paying attention to the youth. So you talk to most coaches, what are your kids doing? Well, they just know they're out there playing somewhere. You know what I mean? They don't know, who's teaching them what, mm -hmm. but they know they're out there playing somewhere. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I always said, like, let's just say you and I had a bet on these fourth graders, and we divide them right down the middle, right? There's 20 fourth graders. You got 10. We got 10. We picked, it, you know, every other one. Mm -hmm. And the game's going to be when they're seniors, and the game's worth a billion dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Winner gets off. Are you going to teach your kids like they're being taught now? Are you going to just let them go out and play on systems where – you don't really know what they're doing and travel. Right. You know, is that going to be your model or are you going to try to say, Hey, I'm going to try to do it. You know? So I just think there's a better way, Trevor, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. Cause I don't think there's any way we do it that way. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod, but aren't sure where to start, the team at my podcast manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. Let's drive down a little further. Give me an example of, of that. Three on three with no dribbles, screen away, you know, like uh, create, how do you create that impetus for growth in a different way other than X's and O's uh, playing two or three zone and fifth, you know, fifth through ninth grade because nobody can shoot, but you're going to win because you're clogging the lane, you know, like how do you, how do you, what would you do specifically? First off, I'd say no tactics till the age of 15. You know what I mean? I would, if I played travel or outside basketball, they're going to get enough tactics by their school teams, you know, or their high school teams. Mm -hmm. So I, I would do almost no tactics. I would do exactly what you're talking about. One-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three with dribble limits. Mm -hmm. or, you know, we did the same thing, but what you were doing today, this left or the, with us, left mm -hmm. lane lines out, everything else is over there. Mm -hmm. You're playing three-on-three. -three, and then we would say shot clock. You know, mm -hmm. we would have a shot clock. Then what I learned from you is we, we started doing the swimming noodle, right? We have mm -hmm. an extra defender over there. Mm -hmm. But any time that you can build instincts and feel. And the one thing that I would do better now that I had the ability to do is I would film it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I have a couple of friends that are coaching in the NBA and they're coaching actually in the G League. And they're saying they're playing three on three and they're filming it. And then they're bringing them into a room watching it. And the coaches are saying what they saw. Mm -hmm. And then the players are saying what they saw. And they said the coaches are learning more than the players were. Mm -hmm. You know, from that app thing. And that, actually, I've said this to about 10 friends that are still in college coaching after working with you this summer and stuff. I said, if I would ever coach again, if somehow that ever comes down, mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure there's somebody that's speaking player speak to the players mm -hmm. versus coach speak. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the other thing that I would be very concerned with, which I did, I felt a good job when I coached youth, when they're playing, I wasn't trying to help them with coaching. I was trying to help them how to be a better player, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that, that to me is the growth thing. So mm -hmm. if somebody in Manton can help coach Hiller get six, eight, 
third, fourth, fifth graders out there and just play and then give them little things like, uh, you know, we have a thing if they touch leather, they peak iron. You know, we talked about the rule. You're looking at the basket, right? Mm -hmm. You're always in a stance. Mm -hmm. So so when we scrimmaged, it would be more to the player, but let's just say we're playing and you're not in a stance. I would call bucket. Mm -hmm. The other team got a bucket and the penalty was Trevor wasn't in a stance. Mm -hmm. Say Trevor got, or uh, D2 got the ball and he dribbled it and just picked it up and didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. we, we would call that barnyard dribble. Violation, mm -hmm. ball to the other team. You know, mm -hmm. So let them learn while they're playing. I always said, like, I could teach kids when they're competing fundamentals, but it's hard to teach them how to play when you're just working on a fundamental. Mm -hmm. but I'd see most, you know, how our fifth grade coaches teach passing. They get across the free throw line and make chess passes to each other. You know, well, what the heck? You know, how many passes do you make like that? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Or they work on layup. Their only time working on finishing is layup lines. Well, mm -hmm. how many layups you get like that? <laughs> you know, not many. So, not many. And I think we're not. You know, and one thing that you tuned me into too is shooting the ball same foot, same hand. So when I'm watching these NBA games, there's mm -hmm. more of those than there's the other way. You know, and mm -hmm. you want to evolve and teach, but you got Chuck Daly said, if somebody's good at something, you ought to let them do it. Mm hmm. And I think we have a lot of youth coaching. We don't allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That you have to, you have to play this way. That's what you have to do. And I think there's something wrong with that. Yeah. Well, cool, so I man. Guess, I don't know if that's answering your question. Yeah, no. I think that's, that's gold, you know, for a lot of parents out there, a lot of coaches, early coaches, youth coaches. I think, you know, and that's, I kind of look at it, like the micro and the macro, the 30,000 foot view, the end of the rope and the, the beginning of the rope. Like you said, that third through sixth grade, you know, is really for me one skill development, but teaching the fundamentals of skill development now have changed so much. You know, when I look at uh, rhythm and pace and shiftiness and footwork, you know, on the lower half of your body and then the upper half of your body, kind of, you know, your, your ability to do different patterns with the ball, you know, and kind of getting those into your game so that when you get onto a court and you need to, to make a move or, you know, you have a shot clock and, and, you know, I love playing shot clock with kids and, and, and giving them, you know, that, that pressure to, to, to make decisions quickly and effectively under duress, you know, which is what happens at the highest levels. You know, you have 24 seconds in, in the pros, you have 30 seconds in college and in, in high school. Yeah. You know, you got all the time in the world, but you know, if you think with the end in mind, you know, if you can create these players that can play at a uh, at a at a high level, uh, thinking wise, understanding where the next pass has got to go, where the where they should be driving on a closeout, um, you know, that happens in micro situations over and over and over competitively too. So, and I think that's where I really focus my efforts as as a trainer and a coach is like, okay, these kids are gonna need these footwork patterns over and over. And, and if we can start to put them into their game early, they're going to have more success early. And it's just as simple as that. If, you know, I was teaching D2 how to do, you know, a one-two step in high school and, and, it, was, and it was just too late, you know, like the, he, I hadn't understood, hey, he needed this footwork in middle school if he was really going to develop it in high school, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he didn't develop that footwork until he was in the pros. And, you know, now I watch him and it's a natural thing for him. So that development starts really early. And I think it starts a lot earlier than people think, you know, on a micro level, you know, with yeah. footwork and the pace and the rhythm. And I think RJ has that, you know, RJ is really, he's really keen on developing that part of his skill set, which I think is so important. And I, and he understands it, you know, but I think it's because I'll go back to the base that he got most kids. And I've seen a lot of kids that I thought, God, they could have been really good. Mm -hmm. And I, and I honestly, we believe again that third to sixth grade some people are getting taught so backwards like when i knew you and petoskey and, and you know we work out in the gym later well you were playing all the time so i could help refine maybe you know or, mm -hmm. or the stuff we're teaching a wolverine mm -hmm. well this generation is is the other way you know it's uh it was, I think it was Socrates or Plato. Plato said to teach this generation like we taught the last generation is to rob them of their future. This generation hasn't played. 
They haven't done things. They've been refined from the minute they walked through the door. You know what I mean? So to teach this generation, like we taught the last generation, to me, it's one of the biggest mistakes we're making. Mm -hmm. These kids aren't playing on their own. They haven't went out there and just played two on two, three on three. They haven't picked up what they can do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and that's wrong. And then I think a, a good coach, you know, well, like it's like the owl. Sometimes you just got to watch and see. Like some kids are good at doing this. You know what I mean? They're just good at it, you mm -hmm. know? And other kids are good at, you know, and so we want, like when um, Ellie and Maisie got pretty good, the trainers in our area would say, okay, we'll work out with them. We just want to advertise and we won't charge you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would go and they would just, I call them getting in line drills. They just do what the person in front of them does. You know, the whole time they're just doing what the person in front of them does, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Ellie and Maisie are two different players. You know what I mean? Gosh, it's so true. It's so good. That's literally and, the, and the best thing I've ever heard. Well, they do it all the time. I call that or the circus drills, you know, or, <laughs> you know, people are doing spoofs on them all the time now. But, you know, we can't judge the bird's ability to swim or the fish's ability to fly. You know, mm -hmm. there's certain kids that have certain skills that I think is getting crushed in the mm -hmm. youth basketball development. And it also leads to me of why would I want to do that? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I told my kids, like, no, I want to play those dudes on TV, man. I don't want to run the X play because that's what the coach ran in high school or something. Um, right. So anyway, those are the things I think are really uh, what I'm trying to figure out how to get. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. How do I influence? I go to BCAM, you know, I'm trying to get them and they understand, but there's also, you know, you're dealing with a multi-billion dollar industry when you talk about youth basketball and, you know, youth sports are mm -hmm. a billion dollar industry. And my friend Don Meyer said, all great ideas are fought with a great resistance. And the more I've been through it with girls and now guys, I can clearly see I'm right, in my opinion, but mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I can clearly say I'm right, but now how do I go back and fix this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there's a, a, a balance between, you know, what you're saying is kind of becoming the culture, the ethos of AAU is like everybody is systemized. Everybody is put into a, a play or a line where you do the same thing over and over, as opposed to letting a player figure out through competition and, and and in my opinion, you know, when I look at players play, I look I look at it from a you know I look at it at an individual basis because I I feel like you know no no a head coach typically is not going to be saying hey you need to get your you need to you need to look at your footwork here on this on this move or this or that you know they they are typically X's and O's they're trying to figure out how to synergistically make a team win move the ball get them you know around move it around and. But I think even now it's become the point where they're just focused on their system of X's and O's and, and offenses and defenses as opposed to reading the game, which I think is too, too separate. You know, you're separating yourself from saying, okay, uh, we want to learn how to read the game and compete the game and figure out what we do best. And I'm also a, a, a proponent of that, but I'm also saying I also think it's important that players take the individual skill development as as one of the biggest ways to to succeed in their game because without that without going into your driveway by yourself and saying okay well what am i what's my theme today what am i trying to work on what am i trying to improve am i trying to get 10 threes in a row what's my streak what footwork am i using on this on this pick and roll or this move you know and really kind of diving into the nitty gritty of like self improvement player improvement and then putting that back into the mix of like, I got to go compete now one-on-one -on -one against a guy that's, you know, five years older than me. And I got to see if this stuff works. And if it doesn't work, why didn't it work? And then I'm going to go back to the drawing board and, and fix it when I train. So to me, you know, that was how I approached getting better at basketball and reaching my goals, you know? And I think, man, I've, I've also, there's no replacement for quality reps, consistent reps and competitive reps. You know, quality, yes. consistent, competitive. And and if I can continue to put players in that position, uh, whether I'm training them, coaching them, or raising them, you know, you're you're on the you're on the right track. 
no question. And see, like I'm older, so I'm a different generation, but I would say nothing takes the place of persistence. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a persistent. But to me, like being the old man, the gym, which I'm kind of coining who I am or whatever from mm -hmm. seeing it from the 30,000 feet is let let these kids figure out what their gifts are mm -hmm. and what they like about the game and then go exactly to what you were just saying. Mm -hmm. You know, find, that's what Bird, I, I, I saw a quote by Bird the other day. He goes, find out what your God-given talents are, then maximize them every day. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? I mean, yeah. get to what your gifts are. Find out what you love about the game, what you feel like you're good at. You know, my thing is I slow-footed. You know, I have a son that's fast-footed. Mm -hmm. Well, he can do things I couldn't. I had to do different things. Well, you have to find that, and then you have to work at it. And um, that persistence, yet there's always certain things that are, are truthisms, right? Your footwork and the mm -hmm. stuff that you're teaching, those are truthisms no matter what. Mm -hmm. But then you kind of, I just think one without the other is kind of like, you know, that old thing about Aunt Jemima's pancakes without her syrup or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. I think you have to have the one to develop into the other with the passion, yeah. in my opinion. I, I agree. I agree. And I think that's kind of, you know, exactly why I, you know, a lot of the messages I try to give to kids or while I'm training them or coaching them is, is exactly that. You know, I would rather, I tell the kids, I'd rather have you go play one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three with a three-dribble three rule or, you know, play on a, a quarter of a court, one-on-one -on -one closeouts and do that stuff than work, you know, don't come to my class if this is all you're going to do. You know, don't, this is for the players that, want to get the, you know, that, that truth is that, that pattern that I see with so many guards, you know, whether it's the lateral skip or the push dribble or, you know, creating that rhythm, you know, that, you know, that rhythm that every guard, you know, every pro guard, every college guard, they typically have these patterns in their, in their game, you know, and I think, you know, whether it's pivoting, whether it's footwork, whether it's dribble moves, like adding those, 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 con that context to your game, that those layers as you compete, you know, and figuring out a, out a way to get those into your game, you know, that's where you really can make a big jump, you know? And well, I think, no, no, no question. And that's why I was enlightened this summer just with this. No question. You mm -hmm. know, I, I think there's no question. And as, as a coach or a parent, you know, we can always try to get better. And certainly the training aspect of a Trevor Huffman is a godsend. But what we can do as parents is give them a base. You know, and we can understand that base isn't necessarily what is popular. You know, that's that's my fight right now. You know, I said that parents have become the Uber driver of the ATM machine. You know, if you look at a parent's calendar, they have three kids. They have three different colors, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and they. Their idea is to drop them off at basketball, pick them back up, do this. You know what I mean? They're dropping one kid off, mm -hmm. picking up another. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that just can't work. You know, that was me being a different generation. If you wanted to be good at a sport like basketball, that schedule can't work. I'm mm -hmm. going to tell you right now, and I'm going to take it to my grave. That one can't work. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know everything, but I do know that. Mm -hmm. And if you could just supplement them by putting them in games, in different situational games, like this side of the court only, you know, we would play, you know, below the free throw line, dribble limit, shot clock, mm -hmm. just let them go and then have enough to where, you know, you can't make a mistake. I know if I catch them on, I look at the basket, I'm more likely to see an open teammate. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a habit I can develop, right? Mm -hmm. um, I know if I just dribble and drop it and don't go anywhere, that's a barnyard dribble. That's a habit. You know, so that's a violation. You can teach them all those things. You know, I, I put in my book 14 Ks that mm -hmm. we can teach. And we would start everyone by saying, okay, we got these three violations. You know what I mean? You make any of these violations. If you're standing on the court, that's watching the paint dry, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're not moving without the ball. So I think we could do that. And I think it would get done a lot more. And again, I don't think, Trevor, I coach for 30 years now. I couldn't teach a fifth grader in a five-on-five -five situation. I had a rule if I blew the whistle, I had to have it done in 20 seconds, right? So I blow that whistle and I start to, and I said, I'll go get a drink. Because I couldn't do it. I couldn't explain to a fifth grader. I don't think, you know, soccer, they don't start 11 on 11, right? 
They, I mean, why I are we starting? They, they shouldn't. I think they <laughs> not start in Europe. They don't. Six. I think in when Maisie played, I think it was six on six. Mm-hmm. You know, and so why are we starting basketball five on five? Yeah, it's silly. I yeah, know. I I, that's not how I was learned to play. I'll tell you that much. Well, and I think that's where me being from that generation back, mm-hmm. I think really helped. I mean, I think it did help that I'm older. Yeah. Well, Bob, tell everybody how to find you. Um, you know, old man in the gym, you have a book out, you have, uh, your, your Facebook page that you, you know, I've watched a lot of your videos where you, you know, you you just have kind of that, that old school approach with a new twist, you know, that is to me balancing kind of that, 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 you know, that skill development look, but also, Hey, we have instincts we have to figure out what we're good at through playing. And I think any coach that takes that away from your kids or your players, I don't think they're thinking about the big picture, you know, and I think, um, you know, well, that's the thing. I mean, you want to win at grade level or is youth sports to win at grade level or is youth sports to develop players. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the fork in the road. So my Facebook page is the old man in the gym. Mm Mm-hmm. And they can see how to how to get the book. And I called it the old man in the gym because when we used to play in the parks in Sparta, the alumni or the old coaches or the people in town would come and watch us play. And then when we get a water break, they'd say, hey, young guy, why don't you think about this? Are you really good at that? You know, but they taught us in little bits and pieces. They didn't overwhelm us. You know what I mean? And I would go down to St. Cecilia when I was a college coach down Detroit. And I said, I could throw a dead cat over my head and I'd hit 30 college players. And there are guys on the sideline that were just sitting there watching them, giving them tips. You know, like, I think that's how we should learn. And because I coach girls for so long, I'm not saying it has to be a man in the gym, but I'm saying this is helping guiding these kids find out what they love and how to get better at it without being lectured and organized. Mm-hmm. Well, cool, man. So do you have a Twitter? I mean, like, what's your, what's your social media like? I know well, we're, we're that you, you protested Vietnam. So it sounds like your social media game is probably really good. Yeah, it's probably not very good. But like, <laughs> we're actually uh, getting working with a marketing company and that uh-huh. and the, uh, COVID really hurt us. But you can, it's Michigan Fast Break on Twitter, Michigan okay. Fast Break on Twitter. And and then also Facebook. And that's, I started a basketball club, you know, and getting to where, you know, the hardest part for me is to convince parents that these things take time. And that's where I have to learn to get along with people better or just get my story out or a lot of people saying just get to more of a metropolitan area. You know, because these parents, like I said, they're like Uber drivers and they only have an hour and a half here or there. And I'm like, there's no way that this can be done in a, two hours of practice. You know, mm-hmm. two and a half, it just can't be done. Mm-hmm. And then you have games. So I actually would keep uh, like little every time Ellie would shoot at a tournament, whether it be a layup line shooting halftime or whatever, I'd have uh, RJ or Maisie keep track of how many shots she'd shoot for a weekend of playing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, like 50 shots for the whole weekend. That included pregame. You know, crazy. it's crazy. And then how do people expect somebody to become better doing that? Yeah. So They don't. Uh, you shouldn't. <laughs> well, but I think they do because yeah. I think that's all they really understand. Yeah. You know, well, I'm paying $800 for basketball. You know, I'm paying $800 for soccer. I got $900 in lacrosse, and we're taking them from here to there, and mm-hmm. I just don't see how you're going to get better. Mm-hmm. Well, good stuff, man. I uh, look forward to talking more hoops with you. Hopefully get you back on the Thrive Podcast, and um, everybody go definitely check out his his book and, and his, his Facebook page, Michigan Fast Break. Uh Bob has taught me since I was, you know, I mean, when was, when was the first time we met? Probably seventh grade. That was probably. That's what I was thinking. We're t- I was talking about that with RJ. And then I was talking about, look at, you know, I kind of 
worked out with Trevor, so maybe I helped him. Now he's helping you, and someday it's your job to help somebody else, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you kind of pay it forward, which uh, we can't thank you enough. You know, you've really uh, lit a fire with him, and I think your common sense things. Actually, I was talking to two high school coaches about this just the other day. Mm -hmm. I think the coaches almost have to recruit these players, young kids, mm -hmm. because – if you give them a good avenue to get involved, because aren't you kind of compete? Like I know the travel clubs are competing for these kids, you know, sure. and, and girls basketball, I mean, volleyball is just killing it. And, but your five star program, I'm sure you've talked about on your thrive before, mm -hmm. but if I'm a parent in a town of Petoskey, Hillman, whatever, mm -hmm. And I got Trevor Huffman in seventh grade. I'm giving him that. As a parent, if I'm your parent, I feel value in that. Mm -hmm. I want to get involved in that, you mm -hmm. know? So I bet you I met you when you moved up to Petoskey. So what grade was that? We're yeah, that was about. seventh grade. Yep. And my dad, kind of my dad and my mom went around and talked to all the coaches. They went to Petoskey, Charlevoix, Harbor, Traverse City, you know, you name it. They went in and I remember I remember, uh, I remember that specifically, you know, going into mm -hmm. the Petoskey Middle School gym and being like, "Wow, this is beautiful!" Not, you know, it's a really beautiful gym, and um, yeah. So I think they did their research. Obviously, we got, you know, we got really lucky with Coach Starkey, and um, you know, just his ability to, you know, have Dean Lockwood and and you, Bob Tower. He brought in, you know, he was always putting new coaches in front of me and and Johnny at that time. And I always felt very, you know, you know, just like I had people in my corner, you know, that really cared about my progress. And I think that as a youth coach um, or coach, you know, in general, is just so important, you know, to feel like they can, you really care about their progress as a player, you know, and, and I think that goes on to other parts of life after hoops. So I really appreciate you um, obviously helping me get better at the game as a kid and, 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 and thank you for sharing your thoughts and, and ideas and concepts.